once verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 315 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly report on all things Star Trek, recorded live on Thursday, April 27th, 2017, and available for download or streaming on Monday, May 1st, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Tony. And in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Winters. Howdy, everyone. Don't worry, Kenna's just on a quick vacation, but she'll be back next week. In the meantime, Tony, why don't you tell us what we have going on this week? Well, we're going to trek out the fate of the fourth Kelvin Timeline film, an awesome PC mod, and a special announcement regarding this very podcast. In Star Trek Online News, Season 13 goes live, and although we don't get nitty-gritty this week, we're going to let you all catch up. We are thrilled to be joined by the Star Trek Online systems designer Jeremy Borticus Randall to get under the hood of the most recent update. And of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, you know that we love to keep the conversation going between our episodes every week. So reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Thanks again to all our Patreon supporters that make the show possible from week to week. Because of your support, the servers stay on, the power keeps flowing, and the team keeps producing. Please help us improve the show by considering a financial contribution via our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash priority one. And just before we start the show, a little reminder again that we're always looking for members of the Priority One listener community to join the team and help contribute to our little corner of the galaxy. We're currently looking for audio editors and writers for our blog. If you think you might be interested, shoot us an email to incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. Now, let's trek out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. You know, it seems as though any time an actor from the Kelvin timeline gets interviewed, they're asked about a fourth installment to the films. Most recently, Zachary Quinto was on the morning show today to talk about some of his most recent projects. When asked about a fourth film, he replied, quote, I don't know, Al. Uh, you know, we're, we're waiting. To, I know they were working on a script for another one, and, uh, and we'll see how that all plays out. But the nice thing about that experience is that, uh, you know, the time in between those big tentpole films mm-hmm. allows us to go off and cultivate a lot of different uh, creative experiences for ourselves, being back on stage, doing independent films and things like that that I love um, that I'm able to do. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll do another one, but there's no guarantees. So I'm... End quote. You know, I think I'm going to be hopeful about this, about the, the kind of silence that the actors seem to have every time they're asked about the fourth installment, because I think that Paramount might be keeping it very close to their chest as they reassess their motion picture division, right? Because they've been struggling a bit. Uh, 2016 and you know 2017 hasn't been kind to them. Uh, then again, maybe they're telling the truth and the actors haven't heard a peep from the studios, which is probably more likely. 
Yeah, and what I find sort of amusing is that they, to great sound and thunder, they announced uh, Hemsworth was coming back. And then crickets. It's like, so what, are we going to have, like, a, a USS Kelvin adventure? Is that what we're going to do? Did he did he not die when he crashed his ship and he's been a prisoner on a Romulan prison planet? You know, like, like Tashi R? You know? I mean, I mean is that what's going to happen? It just, it seems kind of silly to announce, hey, we signed Chris Hemsworth to a, to a deal, and then there's no deal with the rest of the cast. So it, it just, uh, it, it seems sort of silly to me. But then again, I, you know, I have another question now. Didn't they just sign for three pictures? Are they all sort of free agents to negotiate again for the fourth? Well, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Tony, Zachary Quinto and Chris Pine have already signed on for a fourth film. So that contract seems to be done. All right, good. You got you got Kirk, you got Kirk's dad, you got Spock. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's a good chunk of your movie right there. For all you tinkerers out there, especially the kind that like to show off their amazing computer rigs, PC master race for the win, German artist Stefan Ulrich took on the task to create a very Star Trek-inspired case for all his desktop PC components. The case for his desktop PC is inspired by a Star Trek shuttlecraft Type 9 design. There's a very well-produced video walking us through how he designed and created the piece of art. Be sure to check it out. Speaking of PC Master Race, here's our first community question for this week. Tell us about your PC rig. If you've got an awesome setup, take a picture and share it with us via Twitter at PriorityOnePod. Tony, you've got a pretty decent rig going up. You should uh, share a picture. I, I think I might. This is, uh, this, I mean, I'm, I'm painting a word picture for everybody. This is a project that I, that's you know about five years in the making. I've got a, my true masterpiece is a $100 desk from Target. It's got a hutch. And on top of that hutch is a $60 three-monitor steel mounting rig, upon which I have three Dell monitors. Nice. And then under that, I have an HP monitor arm, spring-loaded swinging monitor arm, upon which I have mounted a fourth screen. And then in the keyboard drawer of my desk, I have screwed to the desk a hands-on throttle and stick setup. So you know, it's it. I, I have my little happy place. This is my happy, my happy place. I shall share it with you all. And lastly, you may have begun to notice that we've made some slight changes to the way we introduce and promote this podcast, Priority One. Well, captains, we're pleased to announce that we have begun the start of a new adventure with Roddenberry Entertainment. Priority One, along with Women at Warp, will join Mission Log Podcast on the newly announced Roddenberry Podcast Network. So what does that mean exactly? Well, in the coming weeks, more information will be released regarding the Roddenberry Podcast Network. But don't worry. There are no plans to change the format or content of our show in any way, shape, or form. You'll still hear our rants, our reviews, and the latest news from the great Star Trek multiverse. Now let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. It's time to jump into this week's news from Star Trek Online. But before we start, we want to warn you that we won't be going too far into Season 13 content discussion. It's important that we give everyone an opportunity to play through everything and get a real sense of the release. But here's the top news for the week. Perfect World is having a spring virtual currency bonus promotion running from April 27th until May 2nd at 9am Pacific Time. When purchasing during the sale, you can earn upwards of 25% in bonus currency. 
Additionally, virtual currency on PS4 is discounted as well for PlayStation Plus users. This charge bonus is only available via a select number of payment processors, so visit the link in the show notes to make sure you get the maximum bonus. For instance, Steam purchases receive the bonus, but do not receive the extra zen for buying in bulk. As we mentioned before, Season 13 is now live on the PC platform. In a blog post by executive producer Salami Inferno, he writes, quote, Season 13 is here, and it's packed with exciting new content for everyone. Earlier in the year, the Zenkethi were revealed, and they were making more dangerous plans in the Alpha Quadrant as they devastate planets seemingly at random. The Alliance needs to continue to explore the space surrounding the Zenkethi advance to try and determine a pattern of their attacks. End quote. There's quite a bit of content to go over, Captains, and we'll need about a week to parse through it all and give you our most honest and informed review. But here's a recap of what was added to the game so you can join us next week. A new featured episode with professional voice work entitled Mirrors and Smoke. Offering weekly rewards upon completion. War game, which pits two teams of five players against each other in a competitive environment. The goal? To complete minigame challenges and defeat enemies. The player performance system, designed to match players together who are on more or less equal footing before attempting a war game. A reputation system that offers class-specific space gear that can be mixed and matched. And lastly, a complete rebalance of the space mechanics in Star Trek Online, designed to help bridge some gaps and normalize outliers. So I am actually looking forward to the war game. I, you see, I'm not a PvPer, right? I'm, I don't, I don't really, I'm not a fan. Hardly anybody it. in the game is. But in general, in most games that I've played, I'm just not a PvP person. Um, however, when you're pitted against, when you're in a team, and you're really just pitted against the environment, and whoever outperforms the other in the tasks that are given wins that I can kind of get with it's a, it's a bit like capture the flag kind of thing it's not it's not necessarily that I have to worry about somebody coming up from behind and, and completely destroying me um, this is the, the team with the most strategic advance wins I do want to actually point out something about war games and that is that nearly everyone should be playing on elite difficulty because there is no fail conditions Oh. Really? Yes, you're playing against the other team, so there's no fail condition. So you can, you know, uh, play the Elite without having to worry about not finishing the content, and you'll get a really nice chunk of marks out of it. And the Dilithium as well. How many war games are there? Two. So there's one space, one ground? Exactly. Nice. You know where I where I think this could have been a lot of fun? If they did this on the Voth ground battle zone. Right, because you're working together to kind of hold points and stuff, but it'd be nice if they had like a red versus blue area because the Voth ground battle zone is actually pretty fun. Yeah. And this could be fun too. Now, what I'm curious to see, and I, what I'll be testing this week, is playing with a team together on a platform like TeamSpeak where we can all talk to each other and collaborate yeah. versus a pickup group. Which is, you know, I just queue up and I get thrown in with, you know, any other person who's waiting to play as well, right? Because it's going to require some collaboration. It's going to require some communication. So, which is, you know, which is going, obviously, TeamSpeak is going to be the, the superior method of playing. But can you still win? Do you still have a chance of winning when you just hop into a random group? In my experience, yes. Now, 
I've done a lot of pickup groups with this new uh, war game system, and I've ended up with, on some absolutely terrible teams. But I have also done it where our team won, and um, the rewards are fantastic for it. It's absolutely brilliant. I think it's like um, 150 marks on Elite if you win. Wow. And that's not including the daily bonus. It's 205 if you include the daily bonus. And don't forget that Star Trek Online does have an internal uh, voice system where theoretically, even in a pickup group, you could talk to and listen to other people on your team. Theoretically. Nobody ever uses it. Not any pickup group that I've ever been in. But no, it's there. To be and, honest, it's not great. No, I know it's not great, but it is there. Yeah, it is there, but it, 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 to be perfectly honest, it's very unreliable. I used that first when I first started playing Star Trek Online, and um, the the quality just wasn't there. As Elijah said, TeamSpeak is going to be the way to go. And you can, Captains, if you're new to the game or interested in learning and being a part of a community that uh, that supports you and kind of walks you through it, you're welcome to join the Priority One Armada. That's uh, PriorityOneArmada.com. And that leads us to our next community question. Now that you've had a chance to play some of the content for Season 13, what are your thoughts? Did you enjoy the new war games? What do you think of that featured episode? Did you even notice that space combat was affected? Let us know in the comments section for this episode over at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO315 or by sharing your thoughts with us via Twitter or Facebook. In an effort to lend a hand to new players or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's my weekly top tip. Last week I talked about tactical Romulan embassy bridge officers and a superior Romulan operative trait. This week, I'm going to talk about the Hierarchy Science slash Intelligence Bridge Officer, or more commonly known as Mr. Potato Head. This bridge officer is available as a mission reward item after successfully completing the story mission Alliances, which can be found in the Delta Quadrant story arc. This bridge officer comes with the Pirate Trait and the Efficient Trait. The Pirate Trait gives a plus 1.5% bonus to all damage. It should be noted that this bonus damage does stack, so if you are a KDF aligned character, you may want to have some Nausicaan bridge officers on your bridge crew, as all Nausicaans come with the pirate trait. The pirate trait also gives a plus 150 points to starship stealth. It should be noted that this does not stack, however. As I mentioned earlier, this bridge officer also comes with the efficient trait. The efficient trait gives a plus 7.5 to starship warp core efficiency. Basically, it improves your ship's power levels when they are low. Some things to note about the efficient trait are that it only gives bonus power to subsystems if the power level is below 75. So if all your subsystems are at 75 or above 75, then this trait is not doing anything for you at all. Also, to the best of my knowledge, this trait does not stack so it wouldn't be a good idea to have any other bridge officers on your active roster who also has the efficient trait. Mr. Potato Head will do on his own. For more information, we will leave a link in the show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO315. Oh, but wait, there's just one more little thing. Before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, here's some more upcoming events to look forward to. Captains can take advantage of a Dilithium bonus weekend from May 4th through the 8th, so get your mining caps on and get ready to earn some bonus time currency. As always, events are subject to change without notice. Be sure to keep an eye on the in-game calendar or listen here at Priority One for more news and updates for Star Trek Online. 
That's it for this week's Star Trek Online news. Now, we welcome Star Trek Online's system designer, Jeremy Bordicus Randall, to get under the hood of Star Trek Online. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization, Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Jeremy, thank you so very much for joining us on this episode. Happy to be here. So for those listeners that may not be familiar with your work, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do on Star Trek Online? Uh, I make stuff. Done. Sweet. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm part of the systems design team. Uh, systems design at Cryptic is basically defined as uh, things. Um, a short way of saying is probably anything that's not mission, mission logic, or software, or art. Um, so we handle a lot of, like, uh, progression systems like the skill system or reputations uh, we also handle the creation of all of the items and powers abilities uh, across the entire game so we touch a lot of different stuff it's always hard to define exactly what it is but if you don't know who does it it's probably us right what kind of tools do you use is it a lot of spreadsheets is it something proprietary we have a proprietary editor that allows us to modify data directly within the engine so we can see almost immediately how it plays out um, in the engine itself. But we, uh, during like the uh, uh, paper design, you might call it, uh, stages of design, we tend to make a lot of use of Excel or even just uh, you know word processing, Word and stuff like that to get mm-hmm. our thoughts out uh, before we actually dig apparently. into it. Yeah, yeah, tons of whiteboard <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I've seen lots of pictures of the whiteboard. Don't forget scraps of paper. Mm. <laughs> Post-its, Post-its. Uh, pads. I've uh, This year, I mean, it's only May, and I, I've gone through two entire pads of just jotting down notes of stuff I'm working on. <laughs> wow. And how many people are on the systems design team? Uh, at the moment, there are four of us. So wait, there's four people for all of Star Trek Online, and then um, and uh, presumably you do the con- some of the work for the console as well. All of the work for the console, yes. Yeah, okay, wow. that's pretty impressive. You guys Thank have you. your work cut out for you. <laughs> we absolutely do. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, it seems like a huge workload for just four people. Well, that means we're doing our job well, right? That's mm. true. That's true. All right, so let's uh, jump right on in. There was a lot that has been going on uh, these last several weeks on Star Trek Online, especially today with the launch of a whole new season. Uh, so let's uh, get to it. Winters, why don't you take the first question? Right, well, this one's actually going to go back a little bit rather than focus on uh, the new release that actually came out today, but... The recent skill tree revamp, how successful do you think it was? And do you think it will ever have to be revamped again at some point in the future? Yeah, that's one of the last big features I worked on, wasn't mm-hmm. it? That came out about a year ago? Is about it? that, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's about yeah. right. Um, I think that it was very successful. Um, I think everybody agrees that it is worlds better than the system that we had in place prior to it. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it's not perfect, um, but... Our goal was not to make a perfect system. Our primary goals were to improve it, right. uh, not necessarily to perfect it. Um, with that in mind, there's always a chance that we will be expanding on it or improving it over time from its uh, current structure. But I would say there's no uh, intent to revamp it again, like to right. tear it apart and make an entire new structure out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, from this point forward, it's more, far more likely that we'll just work on refining what's already there. And if we need to make changes... Uh, well, even with today's patch, we made a pretty su- substantial change to, like, one of the skills changed from a, uh, a shield weakening skill into an actual shield penetration skill. Right. Which was what it was intended to be, but we didn't actually have the uh, tech back then. So, ah. 
smaller changes like that will probably continue to happen over the life of the game. I doubt that anything as substantial as an overhaul right. or a revamp uh, is likely to occur again. But with one of those major systems like that, do you ever feel... Do you ever feel like there's a there's a perfect one of those? I'm not necessarily talking about the skill tree revamp, but it could be anything. Or is it very much... Because it always seems like it's a little bit fluid. I mean, I know that the systems are the systems now, the way we... And we kind of learn them. We learn how they work and everything. But it always feels like at some point in the future, it'll probably change. Because there's always a new thing that we can do, uh, an improvement. Do you ever feel like you actually get this is the right system and this is the way we want it, it's perfect? I honestly don't believe that perfection is possible in game design, um, primarily mm. because you're making a game for somebody else. And those people, whoever you're making that game for, uh, will have differing, differing opinions. One mm. person might think it's perfect, but another person might think it's the worst thing they've ever touched. Mm -hmm. um, our ideal is just to get something that uh, engages the most. And that probably means less than perfect, so that more people can think it's good. Uh, perfect and is the enemy of good. Do you think that um, the, the way that people use those systems changes over time as well? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but that was, in the skill tree revamp in particular, one of our ulterior motives was to get people to engage more with the system. The, the older uh, skill systems that Stowe had had before that were always kind of a do it when you have to and then forget about it. Mm -hmm. And even though the current skill system still has an element of that, we know, uh, one of our hopes was that it would be interesting enough that people would engage a little bit more with it. Maybe occasionally try different things out with their character, uh, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Now, for potential new listeners, why don't we give a brief recap of what exactly the skill tree revamp is? Uh, because at its core, it's the backbone to every any character, right? Yeah, it is your core progression system in the game from 1 to 50. Uh, once you get to 50, it kind of uh, progression in that system ends and specs take over. Your core progression, at least. Mm -hmm. And then you start to specialize and you start to do more specialized abilities and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, uh, the, it's the, do you concentrate your character on beam weapons or torpedoes? That's one of the many choices within the tree, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Also, reputations kick in at 50, yet another progression system. Uh, so, yeah. Now, speaking of progression systems, we have uh, the Admiralty system. How happy are you with the Admiralty system? Uh, why don't you give us a brief recap of, of what that is? Um, and, you know, what? How, and like I mentioned, how happy are you with it? How's the team feeling about it? Um, there seems to be some player feedback that it might be a little too difficult, uh, particularly for, you know, science sides of things. Mm -hmm. um, Admiralty system is, I think... Honestly, and I don't want to try to sound like I'm bragging, but I think it's the, one of the best things I've done on STO. Uh, that was a system that, that I created in order to help people get more use out of ships they weren't flying. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of built on some of the um, principles of the duty officer system and created this offline progression, secondary progression system uh, that would help you get rewards or uh, other things that could help you improve your character using the ships you weren't flying. Um, as far as the system itself, I'm extremely happy with it. I think that we... Uh, of course, everybody is free to disagree if they like to, but I think that we hit all of our goals and what we needed out of the system. Um, I actually think it's probably over-rewarding, but I don't have any plans to nerf it or anything. Um, as far as the, the difficulty, uh, that is actually by intent. Um, we made the system to be pretty much 
the system itself is pretty much balanced in terms of what it offers, in terms of just number of, of uh, assignments and how much of a certain stat those assignments take. The, uh, the balance of those uh, assignments is, is very much equal across the board, but obviously the ship selection that people can fly that they can earn or purchase in the game is not mm-hmm. equally distributed. Right. We don't have quite as many science ships, and that's that's I think where the difficulty uh, perception comes from is mm-hmm. just that uh, inequality of distribution of, of what people can get versus what they're trying to achieve. I've always been uh, happy, especially over the last year or so. There's been a lot of science ships for like you know the winter event, the anniversary, and it, it it's. It's been great, like to help people in the Admiralty system. Yeah, uh, it, honestly, it's been kind of difficult to design really desirable science ships in the current meta, the high-end game. Um, they have fewer weapons, mm-hmm. and weapons have become the, the current focus of the of how to get the most out of your ship. So, making a, a science ship that is really appealing hasn't always been the easiest mix. But uh, when we can hit it. I think we hit it pretty good, and we've done it a few times over the last couple of years. I'm hoping that all the rebalancing um, uh, efforts that we've made along with Season 13 might even improve that, both for uh, players can make more different choices. They won't feel like they're, they hopefully won't feel like they're as pigeonholed into making uh, certain choices, which allows us on the design side to be able to make more interesting choices. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you guys have been doing that for a little while now, um, sort of ships and consoles that are uh, maybe not necessarily focused on damage, but focused on uh, different and interesting styles of gameplay. Like, I've noticed that when we've got new ships coming out, and I can't think of an example, of course, um, but it doesn't feel like that would be you're... far too convenient. <laughs> <laughs> of course it would be. Um, but I, I remember feeling as though there's a trend towards more creative styles of gameplay, not necessarily this one hits harder than the last one. Yeah, the design of this one hits harder is a never-ending scale that we we would like not to have to fall into. Mm. Um, ultimately, damage, as desirable as it is to, to overcome the obstacles in STO, is very narrow in the terms of design space. It is a thing that makes the enemy's hit points go down. Mm-hmm. That's all there is. Um, so trying to make something interesting that does that alone is... Uh, <laughs> kind of, it's really hard we would prefer to be able to make things that are more interesting like like you've been saying that that um play for other uh, aspects of the game like maybe survivability or mobility or uh like debilitating the enemies or, or that kind of thing or really cool special effects sure yeah if that's what yeah. sells it for you yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey i like a bit of space barbie and that's uh effects included so with all this talk about ships, uh, just to recap again, the Admiralty system is an end game system that players can use their existing ships because players, as they progress in the game, collect ships. It's really, you can actually have a nice little library fleet of ships. And for a long time, there was very little that could be done with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and now through Jeremy's project here, you know, this, the Admiralty system, you can send those ships that were collecting dust, so to speak, off to do tasks that earn you rewards that add into your game once you've reached the final level. Mm-hmm. And it's not available just at endgame. It kicks in uh, I, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I don't remember the exact level, but it's 52 or 53. 52. Um, thank you. Uh, and <laughs> so through, that, through the end from 52 it can actually help you 
push yourself to 60 because you do get some XP rewards from it. Mm-hmm. And then you can use, use that to uh, continue advancing your specializations at endgame, since specializations theoretically make XP earning forever useful, or at least until you've got, like, what is the current cap, 215 points or something like that? Um, yeah, uh, Admiralty ends up being a, a nice spillover into that system to help you continue to progress your character. And I want to go back again, you know, when we guys were talking about science ships, you know, we were talking about science ships causing something to the enemy. What about if an enemy causes something that really requires a science vessel to heal faster? Maybe not to necessarily heal it, but as, you know, let's say I'm flying my escort and I get hit with some kind of exotic damage, it'd be nice to have somebody in their science ship to back me up. Otherwise, I have to focus on not dying as fast. That kind of interaction can be interesting, but it always uh, is the tipping point onto a slippery slope where suddenly those ships become a requirement, um, mm. which means that we're, we start to kind of uh, skew into the play space of forcing choices on the player. And STO has historically, and we hope continue to be, a uh, more of a game about making the choices you want to make and, and less about making choices that you have to make. So the more we can make the gameplay uh, cater to the choices that players want to make instead of trying to force things on them. Uh, this was actually came up during the, the balancing as well. We, early on in the balancing, had come up with a few solutions. At least we thought they were solutions to problems, but they ended up causing this lack of choice. We ended up inadvertently creating things that players had to choose to get the most out of their mm-hmm. ship instead of catering to the choices that, that, that we'd like them to be able to make. Uh, so we ended up having to backpedal and find new solutions to that. It happens in design. I'm just glad we found those before we went to Holodeck, because it's so much harder to change things after they go live. <laughs> okay, so while we're talking about balancing, uh, so this is a new feature that, well, the ground part of it was released uh, a few weeks back, and now we're seeing the effects of the space balancing coming out with Season 13. Can you explain what was your goal or what was your reasoning for doing this kind of balancing exercise now? Well, I already said a little bit about the uh, encouraging choices and making more Mm -hmm. valid choices for players. Uh, That was definitely one of our focuses. Uh, The other was um, kind of a uh, a narrowing of the the gap of player performances um, and a... This is kind of a double-sided thing. We're hoping that uh, narrowing the gap between like what a, uh, a low-performing or a newer player that doesn't understand all the intricacies and synergies of the system versus what a, a, a veteran player does, uh, grok all that. Um, the gap between what those two types of players can achieve is, uh, is both a problem for the community. Um, it, it causes kind of this gap of us versus them and uh, the haves and have-nots. And that's... Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't like that. It, it it kind of erodes the sense of we're all the players and we all love this game and we all love Star Trek and we just want to play together. Yeah. Um, but it also helps us on the design t- side, obviously, because if we can predict with greater uh, accuracy the kind of uh, performance that we can get out of players in combat, then we can tailor the content, tailor the systems to them, tailor the, uh, the new uh, gear or whatever the new fancy shiny is that we decide to make. Um, mm-hmm. We we have a better idea of who our audience is, at least on the performance side of things, uh, what they can do in the game. Um, over the years since the game has been live, there have been a few uh, standouts. Um, a certain piece of gear or a certain 
uh, system or skill or, or things that, that always cause these um, spikes in performance. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, we finally decided that since we were focusing the season, season 13, on, on kind of a, a competitive gameplay side, yeah. I don't want to say it was all PvP. There's a, a measure of PvP in there, but really the goal was to try and foster a, a, a like a friendly competition uh, right. sort of thing. Um, lay some groundwork for that at least that we can perhaps build on so this is the war games the new war game system that you're talking about yeah Um, because we knew that season 13 was going to have this a bit of a a competitive bent to it we took this opportunity to try and make sure that players are actually performing well if they're performing well like it's Mm -hmm. a more of a put a little more focus back on the player's execution of skill rather than just knowing that this number plus this number equals bigger number and then Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't want to use the word term exploit, but I think it's in some cases a little bit accurate mm. um, for the way that some of our problematic systems were previously set up um, prior to season 13. Now, do you think this is uh, this kind of balancing exercise? Is Do you think this was something that it's probably you're going to do once because we needed it? Or is it the kind of thing that in a game like this, it's as old as it is, you just naturally have to go through it every once in a while? Because... I'm pretty sure that some of those, um, like you said, some of those abilities or consoles or weapons or whatever that were like some big POW thing over the last sort of couple of years, they weren't intended to be like that. But uh, there are the groups of people out there who's who's like, that's like their whole job is to figure out the best combination of all these things to be like supreme. I bet they wish they got paid for it because some of them are really good at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, inevitably, I mean, it seems to me like this kind of balancing thing is just something that eventually just kind of has to happen a little bit. Either yeah. that or you're going to be constantly touching it and massaging it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I actually will admit that I think that this aspect of the game has been... Uh, a little neglected uh, in the in the recent past. Uh, I think that any MMO, in order to maintain its health over the lifespan, needs to go through these changes. Uh, hopefully it won't have to happen in these large, dramatic chunks like Season 13 is. We understand that change is scary, and we don't want to scare our players away. <laughs> um, yeah. So my hope, personally, is that uh, this sort of balance uh, is is not so much a thing that happens, but a thing that is. Mm-hmm. And uh, continues to, as as future patches come out, that that the systems team will continue to uh, tweak the game for the sake yeah. of the long term life of the game, because that's that's what we want. That's what you as players should want. I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, obviously, all of us want Star Trek Online to be around as long as you guys are willing to make it. Right, and unfortunately, the longer that we let standout spikes in the system exist the worse the future forecast is for the game. Um, mm. We need to have something that is more manageable, more even keel, in order to know that we we have a future in store. So I guess um, we don't anticipate doing major balance passes like this in the future, but we do anticipate doing regular... I think that it would be safe to say that players should get used to the idea of stuff changing. Hopefully mm. not dramatically, hopefully not in ways that will uh, damage their experience with the game, but changes will happen. I do just have one last question, really, about um, about balancing just as a general exercise. What mm-hmm. to you and your team, what does good look like? So if a month from now, two months from now, if you're sitting back saying we've done our job right, what does that look like for you? 
Um, the the biggest thing that we can look for is that there is nothing that is no singular aspect of certain. Uh, well, let me let me back up one step because it should be made clear that combat uh, balancing is really what we're talking about. It's, it's all mm -hmm. about combat, yeah. Um, yeah. and but even combat as a system is not a system. There's so many sub components to it that it, it'd be boring to listen to me go on about that but anyway in each of those subsets of combat um, mm -hmm. what we're looking for right now to say that we've done a good job that we're in a good place is to make sure that each of those subsets doesn't have like any one thing that is bending the knob off that is that is spiking out the the performance um, mm -hmm. if we have any subsystem that has a single like just this one thing is bad or is out of line uh, too high or too low um, that's something that needs our attention so I would say that a, a measure of success, which I, I think is kind of what you're going for here, yep. uh, is to make sure that we don't have too many large spikes. Uh, honestly, okay. with, with how much is in the game, there are going to be some spikes, uh, yeah. again, up yeah. or down. But our measure of success would be to make sure that they're not dramatic enough that they are uh, damaging the game. And when I say damaging the game, that's primarily the elimination of choice. So just to focus a little bit on some of the changes that have uh, taken effect, um, the embassy consoles, uh, what changes have been made to the embassy consoles specifically and why? Uh, embassy consoles have been a hot topic since they came out, basically. Mm -hmm. um, this was a. <laughs> They've already been there <laughs> a couple of times, I think. Yeah, I think that the, the changes that took place in Season 13 may have been their third major overhaul. Mm -hmm. um, let's, it's safe to say they were problematic, and the, the problem as it existed uh, up until today when we pushed our patch out, was that they were too big of a spike upward. They right. overperformed in too many different areas to the point where, honestly, there was no real choice. If players had console slots, which every ship does, yep. their best choice, their almost only choice, was to fill those slots with embassy consoles. Mm -hmm. Yep. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, it's a, it's, it's a console that you can buy in your fleet embassy that adds a plasma explosion. These are the ones we're talking yeah. about, right? To... Um, on it occasionally adds a plasma explosion to any of your other attacks um right basically adds to your damage and it's not just a single target too it's aoe so if you have any capability yeah. of clustering folks together like gravity well for example mm -hmm. uh, yep. it just is a force multiplier yep and in some cases can add a significant amount to the damage that you're doing just by stacking a whole bunch of these consoles on yep yep. so as far as what changes were made to try and bring these in line um uh, not specific to embassy consoles, but actually game-wide, uh, we took this opportunity to make sure that any special proc like this, a, a special uh, um, event uh, uh, effect that triggers on uh, on the hit of an energy weapon, can only attach to the first shot of each firing cycle. So that's something that wasn't present on embassy consoles. It was present on almost all of the other effects in the game. Um, but we basically took Season 13 to uh, unify that so that now any attachable effect to energy weapons can only trigger on the first shot of any uh, firing cycle. So, like, your beams fire four shots per firing cycle, then they have a one-second downtime. Yeah. So only the first shot of any beam uh, can actually attach the MC console. This, this brought down the overall rate at which these effects uh, trigger. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, we also uh, reduced the damage. 
That's just a straight up, very easy to notice change. The amount of damage that you get out of any proc from an embassy console has been reduced. And I think there was one other change. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I didn't take great notes on this, and this mm -hmm. is not a change I made myself. <laughs> so I think there was one other aspect, and I, I, I wish I could remember. Um, but your other side of the picture uh, of the uh, question was, um, what were we trying to accomplish, mm -hmm. and, and why were these changes made? Ultimately, it came down to two things. It was just that they were overperforming to such an extent that they became a non-choice. You just had to have these. Yeah. Um, and then there was a standardization of the mm -hmm. every special effect can only go off once per cycle. Uh, that was a game-wide thing. It did impact embassy consoles probably more dramatically than, than most of the other things that we standardized. Mm -hmm. But again, it's a, it wasn't primarily targeting them. It just primarily hit them. <laughs> yeah. Right. And would you say a similar thing to the way that the plasmonic leech was changed in terms of what you were going for? Primarily the choice thing. This was mm -hmm. another um, facet. Because it because plasmonic leech was capable of boosting your weapon power to such a, a large degree and uh, so rapidly uh, to mm -hmm. the point where it would refill your weapon energy while you were firing weapons. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like that bit. Yeah, a lot of people did. <laughs> it turns out that they were totally justified in liking it because it was extremely <laughs> effective. Yes, uh, it is. <laughs> um, to the point where, again, Plasmonic Leech um, pretty much was a must-have. There were mm -hmm. probably a few sections yeah, of the game where is. you could get away yeah. with not having it, but if you had access to it, there was absolutely zero reason to not use it. And that's not great for the life of the game. Choice is what will will allow a especially an older MMO like this to continue to exist. Uh, if we have released something that blocks out the ability to make a choice, then we've pretty much shortened our lifespan. It's, it's a guarantee. Um, yeah. uh, that's a, maybe a little overdramatic, but it, depending on where you made that bad choice, mm -hmm. that might not be overstating the problem. Yeah. Um, so anytime that we can re-inject a, a valid choice for the players, um, yeah. we, we really had to go for it. And, you know, to be honest, uh, even after the changes that were made to both Embassy Consoles and Plasmonic Leech, they're actually still quite powerful. Um, mm. Embassy Consoles may have gotten hit a little too hard, I'll freely admit that, um, but they're still really great. They're one of the only science consoles you can get that actually does deal damage at all, so they're still a great choice mm. in that matter. Um, and Plasmonic Leech is is still great for refilling your weapon power while you're firing. <laughs> mm -hmm. It might not have quite the dramatic effect it used to, but it's one of the only things in the game that can still do that. Now, I'll tell you what I'm slightly nervous about, and I mean, I don't know if anybody else has come across the same thing. So um, I'm somebody who plays Star Trek Online primarily for the content, and I had a lot of help a while back from Winters um, on how to set up my ship. And because of some of the effects that you were talking about, it was pretty there's pretty much like a blueprint for how you set up your ship if you want to do X amount of damage yeah, yeah. and basically make the game easy. Now, mm -hmm. I kind of like that because I'm not necessarily paying that much attention to how my ship is set up. I really just want to make sure that my ship is good enough to get me through all the story content So, because that's the bit that I really enjoy. I'm a little nervous now with the balancing that, that I'm not going to have that blueprint of, of an easy thing. Um... But I don't know, are you trying to now offset that with um, basically everybody can have a good ship kind of without thinking too hard? Is I mean, that's something that we've always kind of thought was the case. Um, probably not 
I mean, we know the game inside and out, so thinking mm-hmm. uh, it's it's hard to take those blinders off. Um, yeah. But really, the story content has been designed. Um, the the philosophy there is that anybody can play the story content uh, to the mm-hmm. point where most of our content designers, when they're testing their own content, are flying like basic ships, like the kind that you just give yourself the blank puppet and it comes with a not very good weapon <laughs> lineup, yeah. no bridge officers. <laughs> yeah, the, the lowest mark you can possibly get. <laughs> they're in Mirandas. Uh, yeah. If they're not playing in Mirandas, they're still playing in pretty much naked ships to make sure that mm-hmm. the, the bar is low enough that if you want to just enjoy the story content, we know there's a huge amount of our audience that really just comes back for the story audience. We can uh, we can see those spikes whenever we release a new episode. There's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of people that just come in and play it once, and then they're gone until we bring back another episode. And we want to continue to cater to them, absolutely. Um, there have been um, moments where we've failed with that i think one of our recent episodes had a, a dreadnought fight that we we got a lot of feedback was uh, too tough for the average player um mm-hmm. so we missed the mark there and we'll go back and try yeah. to fix that up as far as um trying to cater to to players that don't want to take all the time to min max their ships and, and and uh examine and analyze all the gear and everything that we offer i think that'll always honestly be a part of sto um yeah but if we could find a way to make it easier, we'd, I think that that would be a, a good thing for the life of the game. Maybe, ooh, I don't know, like a, a build of the week. Maybe we could publish it somewhere online and, you know, and you help. You make it ooh. easier for people to understand how to build their ship, not right. make the game easier. No, 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 yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> okay. we have made the game a little easier in some ways, uh, uh, mm-hmm. and that's probably worth bringing up. Um, this didn't get a lot of airspace so this is one thing i want to talk about mm-hmm. <laughs> uh along with the balance pass we actually did take levels 50 to 60 and we made them slightly easier we found that mm-hmm. we were getting a lot of um player drop off in the early 50s because there was a very dramatic yeah. increase in the sudden difficulty uh in the game yeah. so we, we actually been around for a while <laughs> it has it's been around yeah. since delta rising exactly yeah. and at the time it was a it was a conscious decision that we wanted to make but it was also kind of not entirely on purpose, designed around the idea that the players we were building this 50-plus content for had been at 50 for years yeah, and were already well-established, whereas now new players come in, they just speed right to 51 or 52 or so, and then suddenly hit this wall of yeah. difficulty increase. Uh, so with the Season 13 rebalance, we also changed that curve so that uh, up to uh, level 54 actually has the most dramatic decrease in quality. Um, it's basically, if you took the old thing was a straight line, we kind of made a crimp in it at 54 and uh, dropped the difficulty for levels 51 to 54 dramatically, and then it kind of slowly ramps up to almost what it was before at 60, but even that is also easier. But then you've also got, uh, nowadays you've got access to, for instance, the Admiralty system that you didn't when Delta Rising was out. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and in fact, that leads into a, something that I noticed when we were talking about uh, uh, the war games scenarios over the last couple of weeks. These queues are all now available in in elite versions as well as the normal and advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, so, along with the, the the balance changes, are you also trying to maybe expand the difficulty on the upper level for those players who do want a bit higher difficulty? I think so. Uh, I'm not part mm-hmm. of the content team, so I don't know exactly. But um, from what I hear around the office, it's usually the intent that whenever we make a new queue, it should be available at normal, advanced, and elite. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes some of the scaling issues with elite get in the way of being able to make those. Um, right. uh, or some of the uh, typically elite has a fail condition, 
Um, and sometimes making those fail conditions can be uh, outside of the scope of making the queue itself. Uh, so okay. they end up not going. But as far as future facing, I think it's safe to say that we would love to, as designers, include normal, advanced, and elite, because we know there is a, a, a small but rabid fan base in STO that wants to destroy the elite content. They want to feel like oh, the, yeah. the greatest yeah. and get yeah. the rewards for it. So whenever possible, yeah, we want to make sure that that's there for them. So while we're still talking about balancing, one of the changes is uh, hot restart powers that automatically removed a subsystem offline can no longer apply more than once per 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. Many players believe that this change is a bit excessive. What was the thinking behind this, and is it likely to change? Um, this primarily came from the... Uh, this is. Well, it came from two sides. Mm -hmm. uh, one is that we would love our, our combat, especially the uh, the defensive side of our combat, to be a little more engaging. Uh, so having too many effects... This is our own fault for making these in the first place. We don't blame <laughs> players for using them at all. Um, but having too many effects that are passive, that just can, can randomly go off and then they just make you better, it doesn't always make for a very engaging gameplay. Uh, especially if it doesn't go off at the right time, then what are you blaming for, for dying? Just random chance. And that's that's not the best experience. Um, by limiting hot restarts, our hope was that players would, if they like that effect, would lean a little more on being active about it, maybe bring in an extra ability that could do a similar or, or the same effect mm -hmm. um, so they can play the game instead of letting the game play itself Right. Um, but the other side of this also comes from PvP. Uh, this this uh, season has a lot of focus on, on competitive gameplay, and PvP comes with that. And subsystem offlines are a very powerful effect that players can use to try and uh, control or, or debilitate their enemy. Having too many options to have those things automatically get removed without the opponent having to take any action, again, it, just, it doesn't feel like an engaging experience. Uh, it's just all random chance. Right. That, that makes sense. As far as the question of um, is it likely to change, I don't know about likely, but um, as the weeks go on after this patch has hit, we are definitely um, taking a large amount of focus on watching for player feedback, and uh, uh, it, we think that there will be a, at least a small pickup in the, the amount of players that play against other players, if not in straight-up PvP matches, then at least in the War Games queues. Mm-hmm. And so we're hoping that a larger volume of feedback comes in from those players about their experiences of PvPing, uh, and then changes like this maybe get may get reevaluated. Other changes that uh, haven't been brought up in this podcast could potentially get um, reevaluated. We're, we're gonna we are very cognizant of the fact that uh, we have made a shift in the meta, of, um, not maybe the build meta, but the the meta game of what STO is and, and how players may engage with it and that's dangerous so we'll be watching it very closely to see what players are saying about it and if we have to we could consider pivoting on any of this right okay right so you you, you will be keeping an eye out for player feedback and just yeah. take it from there and what's the best place for players to provide that feedback the best place is always our forums we have the most number of eyes on our forums um, whether that is responding to our, our patch notes threads or talking in general chat or filing bugs on the bug report subforums, it's all good. Um, that's where the most number of eyes live. Um, second up to that might be the STO subreddit or Twitter. It, it's kind of a toss-up at that point. Uh, Facebook gets a lot of engagement as well. I don't know. I don't watch the Facebook, so 
I don't know how that works out, but I'm, I hear there's a lot of engagement there, so maybe that could work as well. So we've been talking about all these systems, these new, these new rebalancing um, changes. What about older systems, things like the duty officer? Uh, has there been any plan to look at that and improve upon it or perhaps make it so that it could be perhaps one day mobile friendly? I, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Did that come out? Did that come out? That's a pipe dream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, but is it, it is a pipe dream I share. Duty officers are not a bad system, but they they definitely could use some improvement. The really tough part about duty officers at this point is that if we were to try and, and dig in and, and really improve the system, the likelihood is that we would find ourselves having to do a total system overhaul. And that's a huge time investment as well as a, uh, a cost potential for players like there are players out there who have in, invested an incredible amount of time and effort and money into the existing duty officer system and it is likely that if we tried to overhaul that at least a part of that would would be lost whether it was just a player's understanding of the system the tools that they use to help themselves with it or uh, even a loss of the investment in some manner um, mm. that that is kind of an inevitable side of any revamp even though it might make it better for the long-term life of the game it's going to cause some level of loss even if it's just change is scary so i can't do this anymore and they leave um, that is a cost as far as the likelihood of it um, improving DOFs is something that gets talked about a lot around the office there are a lot of people that have ideas for it there are a lot of people that have a passion for improving it and uh, you jokingly mentioned mobile, but there are all, actually a lot of devs that would love to see that happen. There are realistic business reasons that it's incredibly unlikely to happen, um, unfortunately. But improving the system for at least the PC and console experience is something a lot of us would love to see happen. Now, the duty officer system is actually one of these weird systems. We tend to think about it as um, similar to the Admiralty in that you almost collect these little officers that, you know, theoretically run around your ship and you send on away missions. Yeah. But then you've also got this aspect of that system where you can set them as active officers and then they apply effects to your right. uh, space um, and ground. So they kind of become additional um, equipment slots. Yeah. Um, and, and those are those two aspects of it are all part of the same duty officer system. Is yeah. that part of why it's so complicated to try and unpick? Because it's, it's feeding into combat as well as um, something like a leveling system. It's also feeding into fleet starbase construction. It right, feeds yes, into yeah. R&D. Um, right. There are a lot of plugs. It feeds into um, all sorts of things. <laughs> you forget about all these things that it's sort of involved in. Yeah. Even like wow. as, as uh, limited as it is, there is an amount of exploration um, in, involved in the duty officer system, seeking out mm -hmm. certain assignments and things like that. Yep. Um, that doesn't exist in Admiralty, for better or yep. worse. Um, but if we were yeah. to, let's say, for just as a, a dream example, you know, maybe not everybody's dream, but a dream, <laughs> if DOFs yeah. were suddenly just like Admiralty and were no longer yeah. location specific, we would lose that. And uh, keeping an mm -hmm. aspect of exploration in Star Trek is important. Yeah. Well, we uh, Winters was talking about this. Winters does his top tip every week, and we were talking about. Um, the technician duty officers and how you have to venture out to the Batran Nebula and do that um, that set of missions in right, order to right. get those duty officers. And that's an aspect that 
okay, getting the three of them or whatever <laughs> took a while and it was kind of annoying, but the, the, for, for my immersion, that kind of thing is really, really cool. Yeah, uh, the duty officer system itself was originally designed to be an explored system, a mm. uh, where the players would find these things about the system and, and gradually over time become experts of it because they explored it. Right. Um, I, I like aspects of that. I'm not sure if it fits as well with the common or the uh, the modern STO. Yeah. Um, but it's it was on purpose. See, nowadays I pretty much buy my duty officers on the exchange and I don't tend to go very many places to find them anymore. Yeah. Oh, well. So, you know, I want to actually get a little meta here for a second. You know, we talk about players who come in just to play a featured episode. We talk about potentially new players. We talk about obviously the veterans of the game. When you are designing like it's obviously a scale, right? It's a sliding scale of who you're, what you know, what that target audience is. For instance, I, I'm, I've started to play again a lot more, but I was that featured episode come in, play the game, and then take, yeah. a, take a hiatus. And even I find that sometimes it's it could st- with all these new systems, it feels a little overwhelming sometimes. Yep. Yep. How do you, how do you mitigate that, right? Like, how do you, what are you, what are your thoughts on on keeping a player like me from going, man, this is crazy. Now there's an admiralty system. Now that, you know, because these are great systems, but it's a lot. Uh, it basically comes down to just trying to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, discipline, uh, on the design side, because, uh, even though there's only four of us, uh, systems designers, we can probably come up with 30 to 40, 50 bad ideas a day. And we just have to have the discipline to not put those in the game. Uh, or at least refine them into good ideas. I hope they're good ideas. <laughs> you can regret saying all of that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it comes down to to knowing um, knowing what's good for the game, and that's not something that's easy to know. And it changes day to day, and it changes yeah. depending on what you're working on. Um, so it's something that we as designers just have to keep in mind when we're making a new system, a new feature, a new item, a new trait, lockbox, anything, um, we do have this voice in the back of our heads, at least I I try to, and I hope the other guys do as well, uh, that is trying to make sure that we're not alienating anybody by the way that we build things. Mm -hmm. If something is too complex, if it's too difficult to understand, uh, it, it is very easy. It is there's almost no barrier whatsoever for a player to just shut it off and go away. And we have to keep that in mind. I mean, we're a free-to-play game. The barrier for entry is non-existent, but so is the barrier for exit. So uh, we can't... We need to, to keep in mind that everything that we make should have as wide of an acceptance as possible. And that generally tends to mean keeping it as simple as we can. But again, we don't always hit that mark. It's just something we strive for. All right, so why don't we move into some community questions? We reached out to the Star Trek Online community on Reddit uh, and our social media channels, uh, and we've had uh, several come in. Yeah, I was reading through some of those. There's some great questions out there. Uh, if we don't get to answer them here, maybe hit me up on Twitter. I'll see if I can answer some of the ones that don't get answered on the show. So our first community question comes from mhole85. Hey, Bort. Hey. Can you give us an update on the long-awaited mod changer slash re-engineering additions to R&D crafting? Gee, I'd love that. Gee, I'd love that. Um, I don't know how much I can tell you except that it's still something we're planning to do. 
the design, at least a first draft, um, is has been approved. Uh, we have to find. I think. I think that the primary obstacle right now is finding the the time to implement the software and the UI and uh, the last few remaining design bits, uh, get those polished up and, and put together. Um, at this point, I think it's just a question of finding all that time. So I hope mm-hmm. it will be soon, but I can't really make any guarantees. I want so many more details on that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm <laughs> happy to hear that it's been worked on because uh, that would be a great addition yeah. to R&D and crafting. I should go ahead and mention, uh, just as a caveat, uh, only the first draft has been approved. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee that what we've worked on so far will make it into the game. Right. It seems on track to do so right now, but things can change. Yeah. So that's my answer for now, but it's not maybe a forever answer. Will we be able to disassemble things? Uh, that's part that I can't really comment on just yet. <laughs> Always forever sneaky. Well, I mean, it's only paper design. So I can tell you what we have put on paper, but until it gets into the system, it's very hard to make any promises. Okay. Softflow Gmo, I think, <laughs> asked us, new weapon power formula. Base values for weapons at power level 50 have been roughly doubled. The increase from power lowered. Could you give us the formula for weapon damage as a whole post-revamp? You're asking for math. This, uh-huh. this was my yeah. thing once upon a time. Mm-hmm, we know. <laughs> Back in the day. <laughs> Back in the day. So uh, we don't make a, a habit of telling like whole formulas, especially over radio. It's hard to say it without being able to spell it out. But I can give you mm-hmm. the important information, um, which sure. is the, the old scaling, one of the many, 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 many variables that go into determining how much damage your weapons do, your energy weapons, uh, was a scaling variable based on your weapon power that used to go from zero at zero power to 100 at 100 power a very straight linear scale uh, that matched up with your weapon power Um, we've made it more complicated no it's still a straight scale (laughs) but it's great (laughs) (laughs) it's still a a straight linear scale and it still goes to 100 but instead of starting at zero it starts at 0.5 so at zero well technically at zero your weapons are offline but if they weren't offline you would have a modifier there that used to be zero is now 0.5 so if you imagine the the linear scale how it used to be steeper um, going from zero to 100 now it starts at 0.5 and goes to one um, or 50 and goes to 100 uh, you can also see how if you continue that line past the 100 mark it does mean that power levels above 100 get less of a benefit now than they used to right they still do benefit you greatly than um greater than just sitting at 100 but not as dramatically as they used to so basically you're more efficient at lower power levels than you used to be correct which means also that the drain from your power from your energy weapons as they're firing is a little less impactful to your overall dps Mm -hmm. it helps smooth out any uh, unexpected dips in your performance over time it does have a side effect that is probably worth noting, which is that um, uh, most NPCs in the game have 50 weapon power. Their weapons don't right. drain them because that's that's something they don't need to worry about. They don't have the brain power for it. Um, but <laughs> because their uh, benefit used to be 0.5 or 50 at 50 yeah. power, now it's 0.75 or 75 uh, at 50 okay. power. So it, it is true that uh, all NPCs in the game that don't have artificially inflated power levels we'll be seeing a slight increase in their total damage output. Um, We did a lot of testing of this at different levels. It didn't seem to have a major impact on difficulty, but this is one of the factors that we're going to be keeping an eye out um, for uh, Mm -hmm. feedback from the community to see if if our testing might not have been what players end up seeing. That that happens sometimes, especially just in 
volume of tests. Mm-hmm. So moving on, Mushroom Rig Cully Zero and Torpedo Guy posted questions about torpedoes and their power in Star Trek Online. Ultimate- wait, wait, wait. A guy named Torpedo Guy posted questions yes. about torpedoes? <laughs> <laughs> Weird. I was expecting him to submit a question about Trek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. Go on. Ultimately, the questions boil down to, were the adjustments to torpedoes during the rebalance because the team felt they were overperforming in the past, or do you anticipate further adjustments to make torpedoes more competitive with beams and cannons? Um, that's that's kind of a tough question, as torpedoes always are. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a, a mixed bag, um, because they are a mixed bag. I could probably say safely that torpedoes weren't actually a primary focus of the balance pass. They did end up getting some changes made to them, some, some for the worse, some for the better. For example, one thing for the better is that uh, kinetic uh, damage bleed through applies more uh, more regularly to like targetable torpedoes now than it used to. That was another standardization that we managed to squeeze into this uh, into this balance pass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But on the downside are things like uh, there's a, a lockout for uh, torpedo firing modes. That's not a change I made myself, so I don't remember all of the details. But I think it's basically you can't activate a second mode while one's already active. Right. Yeah. Um, which is something I believe was already the case with all energy firing modes or was made the case with this uh, balance pass, another standardization. Um, So that will, not on purpose, but will probably diminish some of the output of torpedoes. As far as how they're performing, torpedoes are really weird. In the hands of some of the really good, well-skilled players, uh, torpedo boats, uh, backed up usually by uh, exotic damage, abilities and such um were actually only second fiddle to the guys that were also uh using things like embassy consoles and mm-hmm. plasmonic leech those mm-hmm. other overperforming um powers in tandem with one another um so when we were taking a look at what were these spikes in performance what were these uh problem children you might say um as we tuned those down we started to notice that torpedoes were starting to become again not in everybody's hands but just in that, those few really skilled players that know exactly how to do it were became the new outstanding performers. Right. I don't think we made any specific nerfs to that, but we did shy away from making any improvements for, uh, to them because of that fact. But again, the weird thing about torpedoes is that, like, you know, for 80 to 90 percent of the time that you are using torpedoes, they are performing below what energy weapons do. But then there's suddenly this perfect storm happens and they become this god weapon for like two seconds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everything dies everything the servers that's everything <laughs> all i want is to be able to fly a, a cannon build uh, galaxy class you know at with Endgame, mixed like mixed armaments not. yeah because the, i just i want to be able to fly my ship with be weapons yeah. And did, you say can- and ha- did you just say cannon on a galaxy? Not not, not cannon. cannon with two not ends. cannon with two. Actually, it's cannon with three ends. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I meant oh, okay, cannon with two. C a n o n, as oh, in like cannon, like film like, cannon. Film, yes, like yeah. the actual okay. Enterprise D was on the next generation. I want to be able to fly it with with beam arrays and torpedo boats and ha- uh, torpedo boats. Uh, I want to. Uh, I, I want to be saying. able to fly it with. Beam arrays and torpedoes, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and have it competitive. That's what I really. That's what I want. I, uh, I think that I can speak for the rest of the systems team when I say that that would be lovely. 
We'd love for mm -hmm. that to be a valid choice. Um, part of, and I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing, but there are these players that are adamant about trying to improve the state of, of torpedoes and to a lesser extent mines, kind of uh, projectile weapons in, in general. And they tend to uh, uh, approach the conversation from a place of torpedoes versus energy weapons. But mm. that's not the conversation that we really want to have. What we'd love to, to try and find a way to do is to encourage more of a, a mixed uh, a mixed armaments, I think is a, a term I've seen thrown around, yeah. where it is a valid choice, maybe not the absolute pinnacle of, of, of performance, but close enough that it is a valid choice to put a torpedo or two on an energy boat or to put a, a few beams mixed in with your, your crazy kinetic uh, damage uh, ships. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, want, we want more choices. We want more choices to be valid. And uh, this is an area that has been kind of a, a sticking point in the conversation between us and players that are, that are very adamant about torpedoes because we're not approaching the conversation from the same angle. But doesn't the skill tree that backbone of, of your character have a whole separate branch for torpedoes? Yes, and it is not something that I'm happy about. Right, because then what happens is, is that it becomes a torpedo versus energy weapon when, even in canon, torpedoes are... are an it's, it's, it's energy weapons first supplemented by torpedoes, not right. torpedo versus energy weapon. It's not, like, it's not like the Enterprise, there was any ship in canon that that just was torpedoes that just was a torpedo right boat. right right um so there were some to be fair there were a few cannon boats that were or a cannon with two ends you know one in the middle uh, that, that talked about being <laughs> having a focus on torpedoes um right. i think the akira was one of those but then in, even in the nature of the game it's tear down shields with energy weapons and then fire torpedoes mm -hmm. then 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 the problem i would assume is that the skill tree would require a some kind of a shift in terms of instead of it being a energy versus torpedo, it's energy. It's something about weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and in an earlier draft of the skill revamp that only showed up on Tribble, those were combined. Um, but we had some other troubles with trying to make the rest of the tactical tree feel um, uh, desirable when we combine those there's there's honestly very few choices that's probably a matter that we'll circle back to at some point you asked earlier about uh skill revamp and whether additional changes may come um this is this is one area that might be ripe for change i can't say that it will but it's a an area that probably has the greatest amount of focus for potential change because it shouldn't be energy versus projectiles it should be weapons whatever weapons you want to use should have a level of validity to them mm -hmm. so then perhaps the skill tree maybe maybe it's energy type i think that limits choices as well in a, in yeah, a different way but we would yeah. be giving up one problem for another that's true yeah. Yeah. so i think um to kind of address the subtext of the question asked by uh, mudstrom and, and torpedo guy torpedoes are hard can, projectiles are hard to balance because uh, we're having different conversations, us and the players that give us feedback. Um, the history of torpedoes is also something to keep in mind in all this because uh, I don't know how many of you guys listening might have been around when the game first launched, but weapon power drain was completely different back then, and you could literally set yourself to zero if you had too many energy weapons. Um, so torpedoes were meant in the original in that model of the game to supplement your weapons because you just simply could not fire eight beam arrays you would run out of energy mm -hmm. 
Um, and then we changed the way that weapon drain works, and that kind of fell off, and it came become became something different. Um, hmm. This is true for a vast number of subsystems in the game. Is that we're we um, we're dealing with the results of decisions that have been made in the past, and the environment in which those decisions were made isn't necessarily the same environment that we live in today. Uh, so we have to to make sure that we're not treading the same ground, making the same mistakes that we tried to to avoid in the past, or uh, or anything like that. Anytime we start to oh man, you're starting to sound like Anorax right now, <laughs> you know. And like the time ship, and like I made a mistake, and now I'm trying to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about, I mean, believe it or not, we don't actually have time travel, so we can't afford to make that kind of mistake. Yikes! Just please, <laughs> please don't like erase yourself from the timeline. I think a lot of us would be disappointed. Uh, some Mondays, though, I feel like that's just the only <laughs> choice I have. <laughs> <laughs> Mustrum Ridcully also asked about heavy weapons and how they came into being. What are the goals that were attempted to be achieved? What kind of play style did you have intended when developing it? Uh, yeah, heavy weapons are a new feature with Season 13 that uh, was added to the vast majority of what you might term escorts. And that term gets a little muddy on the fringes, like destroyers and raiders and things like that. But um, most ships that uh, previously had... Uh, like I think it was the the limit was seven or fewer weapons. Uh, there's a definition somewhere, but let's not get into that. Anyway, it's a new weapon. It's an additional weapon slot for all of these escort-like ships. Um, heavy weapons have 360 firing arcs. They fire slower. There's uh, a number of special things about heavy weapons. Um, the goals that we were trying to achieve are really pretty simple. When we were looking at um, the game-wide balance the differences between performances of different types of ships um, was something that we ended up wanting to take a, a specific look at. Like, how does a cruiser, you know, like the, the stereotypical cruiser compare with the performance of a stereotypical escort versus a science ship versus a carrier? You know, how do they stack up with one another? And we found, by and large, that uh, escorts weren't fulfilling one of their primary purposes, which is deal damage. Uh, mm -hmm. Escorts are basically known for they are the the primary damage dealers and the most mobile. Yeah. Yep. And so they were by and large effective in the mobile department. They're doing what they're expected there, but um, very frequently falling behind in terms of damage potential as compared to mainly cruisers. Yeah, because um, cruisers are awesome. Well, it's well, mainly we're, because we're awesome. <laughs> they're still pretty awesome. They might be a little less awesome, but they're quite awesome still. Um, but it, and we determined that part of the at least part of that performance gap was due to number of weapons. But we didn't want to just go through and say escorts get more weapons, yay! Um, so we decided to uh, try to bridge that gap in a safe, controlled environment. Basically, um, heavy weapons are. Well, here, here's just a few limitations to show you uh, how they're a safer environment. They don't benefit from anything that benefits energy weapons, because they are not energy weapons. They don't benefit from anything that benefits projectile weapons, because they are not projectile weapons. Uh, they don't benefit from anything that has firing modes, because again, they're not a beam, they're not a cannon, they're not a projectile. They are a heavy weapon. They're a new thing all of their own. Mm -hmm. um, and we chose to do that so that we didn't have to try and balance as much synergy, and we could then we could then make a, a far more surgical uh, adjustment 
to escorts and say this is this is how much more performance we need and we don't need to factor in as many different uh, sources of synergy or cross-performance uh, metrics or, or uh, um, force multipliers because a heavy weapon is what a heavy weapon is. Uh, and so here you go, more damage. But it's damage mm -hmm. that we control. And you can tweak that independently of right of anything else so you can kind of work on that as as to see if it's achieving the goals that you want without right. then it having a ripple effect on every other ship in the game yeah this also it also uh, gives us a few opportunities we're able to itemize now for escort flyers they have one more thing they can chase if they want to um, we, we give everybody access to a free one that performs pretty well, but if you want to go out and find better ones, there's a, a new one uh, in the competitive war games reputation. You can get a new heavy weapon that's a, a bit better than the standard free one that everybody gets. Um, mm -hmm. And a little bit different. It's got a few just uh, different behaviors to it. Well, while you're talking about that, is there likely to be a new R&D school focusing specifically on heavy weapons at some point? Um... Probably not, because they're rather narrow in focus. Mm -hmm. um, but I could see heavy weapons recipes potentially popping up. I'm I'm not really sure what school they might go into. Yeah. Um, but it's also possible we could put them in multiple schools. They could go in beams, cannons, and projectiles. They are none of those, but they are also kind of all of those. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I could see potentially uh, recipes popping up in any or all of those schools. Cool. So I have one last question regarding heavy weapons. What is the inspiration for them? Like, what what did you, in terms of film canon, Star Trek canon, if they're not typical energy weapons and they're not typical torpedoes, where'd you pull them from? I I think we can safely say this is not pulled from Star Trek lore uh, in any way. Now, some of the examples of, of the heavy weapons that we create or have already created may be drawn from inspiration from the shows, you know, like random alien number X showed up and hit the door, the enterprise with a blast of things. We may turn that into a heavy weapon if we feel like it at some point in the future, but um, the concept as a whole uh, isn't necessarily inspired by a Star Trek canon in any way. This is really made as a, as a systems, uh, we need these ships to do this, we need this performance, here's our answer purely game design so for our next question bad moon rising says do reputations fall under systems and if so yeah. what's the possibility of older reputations having new equipment added to them like warp mm. and singularity cores kit modules uh the romulan one getting a ground set oh well those are a few different questions um they do fall under systems, absolutely. Uh, the systems team, mm -hmm. myself included, are the ones that are, uh, handled building out the the, the uh, pr progression of, a, of mm -hmm. a reputation, as well as the traits and the items and anything else. Uh, we, we do all right. that. Have we ever gone back and revamped an older reputation in terms of uh, what what's available as you progress through it? I don't think so. Uh, I think I can safely say we haven't. We did do one minor revamp to the progression rates at one point, mm -hmm. um, mm. making it a little more user-friendly daily login for uh, yeah. to get all of your reputation stuff done. Yeah. Uh, as for adding new items to old reps, I can't say that we have any plans for that. But I also right. would safely say that it's not off the table. I think what it comes down to, though, is kind of a return on investment uh, question. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're going to make a Singularity Core, for example, we may as well spend that time making it for, for a new system instead of an existing one. Um, by and large, new systems have a, uh, anywhere from a slightly to dramatic higher return on investment in terms of mm -hmm. player engagement for 
the hours put in on, on the developer side. Um, so I can't say it's likely that we'll add new yeah. things to old systems, but it's it's not a crazy idea. I would love to see a Romulan Republic ground armor set complete with visuals and everything, but that that's even more expensive because then we're talking about costume time. Yeah. What about the flip side of that? Because I know there was, I can't remember which one it was, so forgive me. There was one of the reputation systems that had some some gear that you could only get with uh, elite marks. Then those elite marks you couldn't get anymore. So I know that was kind of dangling out there in one of the reputations. Um, would I think you that's... Be, I think what you, you might be referring to is uh, yeah. elite accolades in the Omega stuff, which is oh possibly may still be dangling. To be honest, I, I think that there might be some uh, older costume unlocks still missing. I'll have to check with the content guys about that because that's that side of uh, costume unlocks and uh, content-based accolades yeah. is something that they have a little closer engagement with. Um, yeah, mind you, we've gotten so the new war games reputations. All the all those varieties are coming in elites. Are the, are the marks for those uh, choice of marks, or are they only the new war games reputation? You mean from the or, new cues? Yeah, because there was a complaint. Sorry, I'm I'm digging up old dirt right now. That's <laughs> fine. There was a complaint a, a while back. It's been a while since I've heard it. Where there there wasn't enough availability of the elite cues in order to be able to get those marks to get those things, um, because some of the old elite cues were retired. Um, but now we've got more elite cues coming into the game. Um, is that going to be alleviated? Do you think? Um, I don't really know i'm afraid that's not one that i can answer i, I oh, will right, offer okay. an alternative though um in that's every right. reputation that possesses an elite mark um which i think is everything except romulan republic or new romulus um, and new Kara. and new Kara. good good call um you can change normal marks into elite marks it's not a great conversion okay. rate but there's a project that you can run to to change normal marks into elites so if okay. if you're a player that uh, can't find the elite cues or doesn't want to do those particular elite cues, you do have an alternative. Again, it's not an incredibly great um, uh, conversion rate. I think it might be 100 to 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it once does every exist. 20 hours. Yes, yeah, that's right. It's also time limited. So there should be no reputation out there that has no access to elites, although getting those marks might not always be the easiest um, to do. Okay. Well, Jeremy, this is the part of the show where we wrap things up and ask you if there's anything we have not yet discussed that you wanted to spotlight, something that you wanted to come on and talk about. Uh, you know, there is one thing that I would like to spotlight. Um, through the course of all of the, the uh, balancing changes that we've been making to the game recently, both with the uh, extensive uh, space combat changes that came with Season 13 and the ground changes that came prior to it, um, through all of that, we've had uh, quite a number of, of players helping us out by testing on the Tribble server, uh, going through the new queues as we release them, uh, trying out our changes, and giving us their feedback. And honestly, the game would not be anywhere as as good as it is right now um, without those players' feedback. I, I cannot praise tester players enough. And I, I really would like to take a moment just to give them all a shout-out. I don't have their names, but you know who you are. Uh, there's there's probably like i don't know 20 or 30 players that have been just passionate about helping us to get the best results we can out of out of these balance passes and we would be in much worse shape if not for their assistance so thank you 
thank you, thank you. And the next time any of you listening to this see that we're putting up major changes on Triple, please lend us your aid because you can help this game make be even better than we can do it on our own. It really is a community that helps. That's absolutely the truth. Yeah. I mean, I, I said earlier that we're making the game for you. and That's right. that's not a stretch. We, we wouldn't be here if people weren't playing our game. Captains, if, without you, none of this <laughs> would be possible. <laughs> it might sound cheesy, but it, it is absolutely true. You know, if nobody was playing the yeah. game, the game would not be alive. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's all on you guys. No, it's not all on you guys. I don't want to foist all of that under your shoulders, but <laughs> you can help is what I'm saying. Well, Jeremy, thank you so very much. You know, we hope that uh, maybe we might see you at conventions, maybe at San Francisco, perhaps Vegas, if things, if the stars line up. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I'll be at Vegas this year. I'm, I'm trying to make it work, but I, I kind of have my doubts. I loved it last year. It was my first year to go to STLV. Uh, it was fantastic, and I, and I hope to get back there as many times as I can. Maybe not this year, but hopefully the, at least the year after. It was definitely fun to see you there, and I'm glad that you made it. Yeah. So, Jeremy, thank you so very much for stopping by and, and joining us for episode 315 of Priority One Podcast. Uh, we'll hope that you'll come on again soon. I hope so, too. Oh, and congratulations on the Roddenberry Radio thing. Thank you. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you very much. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. And again, a very special thanks to Star Trek Online systems designer Jeremy Vorticus Randall for talking with us about the new changes with Season 13. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 314's community question was, what are your first impressions of the new Star Trek Online competitive war games? Which is your favorite, and what could be improved? From Facebook, Arnold Logando says, The space-bound one was far better than the ground-based war game. Therefore, I will be doing the space-bound one only. I'm actually... The opposite. I prefer the ground-based one compared to the space-based one. But that's just me. Yeah, you're one of those weird people that likes ground fighting. It depends for me. Like, for instance, the ground battle zone for the Voth is really fun. I like that one. Uh, but, but like, Bug Hunt Elite? Eh, I could, I could leave it. Like, not all ground maps are created equal. But I always have fun in space, generally. From the Star Trek Online forums, Tyler Maxwell wrote in, both seem fine enough, PvP that's more foot race than gank fest? Sure, I'm down. Kind of think it depends on the kind of team you end up with. With a bad team, it can seem like a tiresome slog. Side note, more Borg monster play, please. Uh, This brings up a really good point about the difference between being on a, quote, good team and a bad team. Theoretically speaking, with the player potential system, you should always be on a pretty okay team. You should be on uh, a team with people with your about your level of equipment and theoretically then about your level of, of skill and, and ability to play the game. You're never going to see a chart or a graph or a number in your face that tells you what your player potential is, and neither is anybody else. That's going to be a secret sauce thing that Cryptic is going to keep proprietary and, uh, and way, way, way in the back room. Right, so nobody's ever going to see a UI interface to look at your Never. player potential. The only way they're going to know if this is working, if their formula is uh, needs tweaking, or if they're if they're dialing in the sweet spot, is feedback. You're going to have to get on the forums. You're going to have to uh, 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 help them uh, figure out whether or not they've got their formula right. 
And so uh, please give feedback to the to, to Cryptic about the about that system. Now, here's the thing about something like a player potential system, right? This is essentially, you know, you figure that the math is something like what your gear is, what traits you have um, loaded, things like that, right? But just because I have the new hotness that I'm wearing doesn't mean I know how to use it or when to use it, right? So you could be max level running ultra rare gear, but a, a terrible strategist, right? The, the, from it's the it's the human to keyboard relationship, which I don't think they can measure uh, sure in any can. quantifiable yeah. way. Kill kill the death ratio. Um, you know, time between deaths. Uh, you know, uh, you know, how much do you heal versus how much uh, are you? Uh, you know, damage output. Damage output. I mean, you know, they they they're we don't know what they chose as their inputs, and so. If it's clear that they're missing things that are important, we'll continue to have people like Tyler Maxwell who have a very uneven uh, experience with the player potential system. If they're missing critical uh, data, then it's going to suck. But if they are, if they have the right data, but maybe just need to tweak the parameters, tweak the the coefficients a little bit, then you'll see it kind of sucking at first but getting better over time as they refine those those parameters and those coefficients. So, I you know, it's going to be important that over the next, you know, few weeks as people play those cues more, uh, keep track of whether or not you feel like you're on a pretty good team or one that sucks or if you swing wildly between the, the two extremes. Well, I'm a little bit confused. I thought the player potential system was for PvP and not PvE. Well, isn't this PvP? It kind of is. They wouldn't build an entire system without something to test it against. And I don't see people. I don't see people jumping into the capture the flag, old PvP content. Are they? No, but that that's what I'm a little bit confused about because the player potential system doesn't work for PVE content because if you queue up, you are waiting for nine other people to queue up and it, the system doesn't have any choice but to select the nine people that just queued up for it it won't hold you back and wait for somebody or you know nine other people who may or may not ever show up it doesn't work for pve content no well and again we'll, we'll do some theory crafting here if i were making the system what i would be doing is i would be uh taking all the people that are trying to get in the queue and then i would say oh you're player potential is this your player potential is that here's three people whose player potential equals the two of yours so you two are going on this team and you three are going on that team to calculate the potential of a player things such as their characters equipment and specializations are considered for ground and space evaluations once this is calculated it can be used as an approximation of player power this is then adjusted by a modifier that is generated as you play competitive ground or space matches the more competitive matches you play, the more accurate your player potential will be. So... These are competitive. These are competitive, right. So this results in a fairer and more enjoyable experience overall for classic PvP and the new competitive PvE. So it's working on both. And so, right. yeah, it, it's, so it's, it's not yeah. for normal PvE queues, but the, no. the two new queues it, it's using the player yeah, potential for, system. For, for, Borg, for, for Borg ISA or whatever it is you're still going to have that uneven situation. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if eventually they try to figure out a way to port it over. 
it wouldn't surprise me. But I have a feeling that one of the key components of that player potential system is they, it's like, it's like a more democratic and uh, uh, you know picking softball teams thing like in kindergarten, right? You know they they really are, they are they're going to try to even out the teams, uh, and I think that's going to happen behind here. That's going to be behind the scenes. And to Tyler's point about trying to find matches, like the original blog says from April fifth, the more you play these PvP and competitive PVE matches, the more accurate the player potential system is going to be over time. So right now everybody's probably at like a base zero. And the more you play, the more that formula is going to be kicking in. Like Tony said, the modifiers of like kill death ratio, that kind of that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. From Twitter, Ken from Chicago at Ken from Chicago. Good news at Kinetic Impulsor. The listener was wrong about hashtag Babylon Five. Yes, it had a five-year story arc, but it used hashtag holographic storytelling. You can enjoy every single episode, but get more out of each by watching more. It rewards more viewing, not punish you for less. Example, these space scenes. And he shares links to some of the space scenes. Each scene is nice on its own, but together tell a bigger story. A follow-up might be why the hashtag Starfury is sent. Attack, spy, patrol, etc. I have no idea what he's talking about. Well, you see, Elijah, Star Fury is a fairy that flies out of the head of the main character. And then there is a magic wizard, uh, who I have no idea. I didn't watch nearly enough Babylon 5 to have to know. I think the Star Furies are the actual fighters, uh, the little fighter uh, ships that, that fly around there. But, I mean, his point is well taken. Again, we talked about how many people sort of think that Babylon 5 was sort of ripped off by DS9. That sort of long arc storytelling where each episode is self-contained, but maybe you get more by watching the entire series. Uh, so I, I, your, your point is well taken. I still can't come to bear a 110-episode binge watch. I just I just, I can't bring myself to do it. From Facebook, Mark Taylor says, Well, frankly speaking, I think they are garbage. As forced PvP to engage in the new content is just bad game design. However, in spite of my friends and I not managing to win a single bout on opening night, we still earned enough marks to start in on the grind. I'm just tired of the grinding. Do away with the various versions of marks and give us a quest mark, which is earned by doing any queue and usable on any queue. I don't hate that idea, a global quest mark, but it'll never happen, number one. And number two, you know what I think you know what I think is also the, the big problem are these these systems. And I know we keep harping back on a mobile application, but it, it really needs to happen because I don't I when I log into the game, I want to do something. I want to explode something, right? I want to attack something, I want to play the content, I want to play the mission. That's about an hour, right? If I have an hour, you know, one or two times a week or more, whatever, I don't want to have to spend that hour going through all these different systems and triggering off boffs and triggering off Admiralty and triggering off, you know, R&D. When, when these systems scream for mobile integration. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, you know, you do your Star Trek. 
I mean, come on. You get your pad out. For God's sakes, you sit at your desk and you get your pad out. Okay, my little pad. And I go tippity-tip-tip-tap, just like Captain Picard did behind his desk. And I send my DOS on the missions, and I do my R&D, and I fill my little meters up on the on the uh, reputation system. And then it's freaking red alert time when I walk out to my bridge or my wacky, wonderful PC setup, and I sit down and I you know, and let Windows and DX11, whatever it is I've got now, uh, take me away to Splosionville. All right? That's how that ought to work. Uh, it shouldn't be... And, and, and again, there's a huge missed opportunity here. You get an alert on your pad saying, if you jump in this queue now, it's a 20% bonus mark. Holy crap. All of a sudden... It cheeks and seats, and then it's it's not a grind anymore. It's I get extra for showing up now and crowding the queues. So I mean, just just and I think that that'll take away that'll take away from the the pain point of having these multiple currencies because then I don't then when I'm you know sitting in bed I don't have to be in front of my computer or on my laptop I can just load up you know these systems these very mobile friendly systems. Onto a tablet, you know. I, it's, it's. I, I just. I, this is one of those things. Those things that I, I'm not going to stop harping upon unless somebody comes on and says, "Yo, it's not happening for X, Y, Z." Like, there, it's just. Ooh, it has to happen. It's yeah, got to you know happen. What we should do. We should just like. We should just like sit down and make a PowerPoint deck, Elijah, and just like just hash this thing out and tell Cryptic to give us like five million bucks. And and then just just give it to us. We'll 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 do it. We'll just do it. Well, even in our interview with Jeremy, I mean, it sounded a bit as if though this is something that even the developers want to do. They see it. It's clear that they see the potential. And we'll never get a definitive answer as to why not, right? There's never – it's a business decision that's, you know, locked away behind closed doors, right? But, I, you know, it's, it's – I think I want to, like, band together all the players, like, try to push where if enough squeaky wheels are squeaking – then the people, the, the money bags are going to be like, all right, well, let's try it. Let's let's do this. Let's invest money in porting over some of these systems to a mobile platform, right? Because uh, you know there there are no, I don't think there are forum posts about it. Are there? I don't see I don't see the subreddit. You know, every every week with something regarding a, a mobile platform. But I think that I think if enough players, even the silent players, the ones that you know just kind of log in, listen to this podcast, don't go to the forums, don't go. I think that if we if we generate a buzz about this enough of a buzz whoever's in charge whoever the money bags are are going to invest in the r&d you would hope so but i mean it i don't think it's controlled by their current player base and i think we and i made this point the last time they're looking for new players the 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 r&d money would get spent if they thought a new audience would come to star trek online with the investment i mean this this is you can. It's the it's the horns thing again that Dal used to talk about. There's the retention and there's the attraction. Yeah, the players that are already in already sit and they drive their you know their uh, clicky menus for however long it takes to send their DOFs on missions and do their R and D. They already do that, so it's clearly not a retention tool. It might be to some extent, but it's got to be sold on a, being an, an attraction tool. All right, so here's the excellent example to that: timelines. It is a time-gated game on a mobile platform, and yet arguably a pretty successful mobile app in the Star Trek franchise, right? Better than Trexels, better than the, the, you know, the other ones that have come out. People, there is a buzz about timelines. Look, I was on Facebook the other day, and this guy I did a musical with a few years ago. I didn't even know it was like a Trekkie in any way, shape, or form. 
all of a sudden made a Facebook post about how fun Timelines was. And I was like, what? Where'd this come from? I don't, I didn't even, what? We did a show together. You know I'm a Trekkie. You know I have a podcast about Star Trek. You never even, like, we've never even had this conversation. And you're playing Timelines and talking well about it. The, the, the audience is there. The audience is there. How, what, how awesome would it be to, to, to entice existing players by by walking around, let's say, you know, a convention, right? It's convention season. Walking around a convention with your iPad, with an Android tablet, and like, hey, have you heard of Star Trek Online? Yeah, isn't that that game? Like, you know, it's for computer. Yeah, it's for computer. But look, we also have a mobile application where while you're at work, you can still kind of play the game. You can you can develop your character while you're away. That way, when you get to sit in front of your computer, you can focus on the story and you can focus on earning that leak gear and joining your friends in some friendly combat. I have an idea. We should just talk about it on the show every week until eventually their resistance crumbles <laughs> in the face of our onslaught. I'm okay with that. I'm okay, okay with all right. that. I'm okay, all right let's with that. Do that. I agree with everything you guys just said. 100%. But. I hear a but to, coming. Yes, but. Going back to Mark's feedback and the idea of a quest, Mark, there is a much bigger problem than the number of currencies that is in the game. The queues are dead. And they've been dead pretty much since Delta Rising. There's a much bigger problem here than getting a universal mark. And you guys said that that would probably never happen. I think you're probably right as well. It probably will never happen. But when I finish my reputations I don't have any real incentive to go back and do them and that's why the queues are dead everybody's completed the reputations new players coming in and I see this all the time new players that are coming into the game are struggling to get the reputations done because nobody's playing the queues I wonder should they consider or why they haven't considered do some single player queues for all the different reputations Actually, you know what? You bring up a really good point because you know it, it, it's not it's not unknown that you know I took a uh, I've been taking a break from Star Trek Online over the last year and now I'm starting to get back into it. I log in and I have you know I, I think it was three reputation systems at zero. Right? It's overwhelming for a player like me. It really is overwhelming, and that's a that's a shame. That's a real shame because I don't want to feel overwhelmed. I want to go into the game and I want to feel. As if though in an hour I'm getting a lot done. So maybe maybe the older cues, the much older cues, maybe there's like a time period. Maybe it's like you know the, the first six months it's a currency, and then it shifts to a uh, a global quest mark or just something. lower the just lower the mark totals or lower the mark totals or something. But but you know now I have to focus on on playing strictly Iconian cues and content to get those data cores so I can get the reputation, right? And on top of that, the marks. It's really inconvenient. It's really inconvenient and it and it, it puts me off from logging into the game and, and striving to earn those rewards. And I don't think that's what they're trying... I don't think that's... that. that I, I think they're over... Uh, I don't want to say they're overlooking it. You know what would be awesome is if they had some sort of system where they could, like, announce to people, like, in a personal communications device, like, bonus fleet marks if you run the Iconium. <laughs> I just, I wonder how they could do that, though. I yeah, but, know. you know, but for that, for that, you know, you have to be able to log into the game. If I'm at work, I'm not going to be able to do that. That's fine. But, but really, Well, just say for the next 24 hours. Like, say for the next 24 hours, if you do the Iconian queue, 
you get you know 50% bonus fleet marks, or you can choose to get a reward for the current reputation, right? It can be an option for the next for the next uh, 24 hours. If you do the any Iconian queue, you'll have an option to either earn the Iconian marks at a bonus or the current reputation system marks. You know what really hurts? It's not just marks, but it's the the, the special items, right? Like the like the data cores the elite and the marks. yeah the, like elite, the elite yeah which those elite marks elite completions yeah those those are probably worse than just the regular marks because you get one or two right depending on what you play you get one or two two if you're lucky but i but those are those are hyper limited right with like for instance the iconian right the iconian reputation set right now is on my radar to earn right but those data cores i can only play on on a handful of missions actually not even a handful of missions it's what three yeah something like that you know, it's uh, and and to get people to play those missions is not easy. Well, this is going back to what I was just saying. I wonder why. Why does every queue have to be a five-man team or a ten-man team or a twenty-man team? Why not have some single-player queues where you can go right? I want to do Brotherhood of the Sword, but I want to do it solo because I cannot get anybody else to team up with me because nobody else wants to do it. And I'm sure they would come back. And they would say, well, you have the battle zones. Not every battle zone has people in there. And I've tried doing it solo and forget about it. You still need more people to do the content. Yeah, they, they really, they really, there's there's a few different avenues here. Number one, just drop the raw number requirements. Number two, instead of a quest mark system, do something that they've done several times in the past. Just let you choose which mark reward you want at the end of the queue. Just play, play anything and you get one of those, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, spin the wheel, mark lock boxes, right? The things that show up in your inventory. They've already got that implemented in the system. Just make that permanent. Uh, or you know, or number three, consolidate the queues themselves. Have one space, one ground mission for each one, uh, and that's it. And then offer bonuses from time to time uh, on the fleet mark side of it if people need fleet marks. That way you get whole bunches of random people who just want fleet marks uh, rather than uh, this reputation-specific marks. You'll get fleets coming in to populate those queues, and people who need to do that reputation system can piggyback on those people. So, I mean, there's there are ways to solve it. They just need to implement those ways. I, I actually don't agree with you there with the fleet mark side of things because uh, typically people find it very hard to get rid of their fleet marks. It's one of the first things, and this is something else that I could talk about. Yeah, we could talk. Yeah, oh boy, you know, I mean, let's talk. Jeez, let's go dig in the archives for when I was talking about the fleet system five years ago. I was talking about the fleet system. People find it very hard to get rid of their fleet marks, and uh, I don't think that would be a good incentive because of that. Well, that wraps up episode 315 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts, go to Roddenberry.com. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to our Patreon supporters, Navy Bolt Slough, David S., Lee Malian, and Admiral. Before we go, here's a reminder of what our community questions are for this week. Tell us about your PC rig. If you've got an awesome setup, take a picture and share it with us via Twitter at PriorityOnePod. Now that you've had a chance to play some of the content for Season 13, what are your thoughts? Do you enjoy the new war games? What did you think of that featured episode? Did you even notice that space combat was affected? Captains, you know what we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com. 
or on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, or tweet us via at Priority One Pod. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Thursday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can also join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, along with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to associate producer, Navy Boats Lou. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage. up guys yeah you have a yeah if you think you might be interested shoot us an email to incoming at priority one podcast.com oh who's the doesn't That's matter because right. it's on his thing oh it's on it's on winner's thing oh it was it was yours but as you say that i'm gonna put my phone on silent just in case <laughs> just in case who's, who's gonna text you at like five in the morning okay you before we go here's a reminder of what our community questions are of the week are of the week you can even enjoy (laughs) there's more even enjoy that's a lawyer thing this episode of priority one podcast is brought to you by our patreon by the letter p by the letter p this episode of priority one is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com find out more and add your support at (sighs) pre My tongue is too big in my mouth. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One. How, how, I do this every week. <laughs> Slow down. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen. <laughs> <laughs> that one, my voice just failed. <laughs> That's a wrap. <laughs>